0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast, your very own. And I'm your host, Ned Buskirk. First of all, I want to thank all of you who just put in some ratings and reviews after our last episode. Now, what what I'm not clear on is whether you did it because I sang and you want me to sing more often or to stop me from singing. Uh, So, uh, I guess this episode, I'm going to have to somehow do a test to see what's working and what's not. And likely there's mixed reviews, uh, although I'm, I'm fairly certain based on how I feel about my own singing in the middle of an episode spontaneously that uh, most of us don't want me to do it regularly. But because it quote unquote worked last episode, kind of, it was a call to action For you listeners to go and click ratings and reviews in whatever platform you listen to the show. And if we got 10 or more ratings and reviews, we would have me stop singing. Um, And I guess, or start singing (laughs) more often, Uh, but we didn't hit 10. So I'm in this sort of like stalemate with you audience, my community of listeners. So I, I feel the the need to sing a little more. <laughs> God, you you must be rating and reviewing to stop me from singing. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna just have done that much just now, and uh, say hey, if you want me to stop singing uh, ever again in any episode, <laughs> uh, go and click your ratings, your reviews give us some stars, put some words in of acknowledgement for what the show is is offering you. And I will stop singing in every episode. This was just a short sing. <laughs> but if we don't hit 10, the next episode, I'm telling you, I'm going to sing a little more. <laughs> it's a threat. Okay, so hey, this is the last episode of the year. And feeling, feeling good, like a good ending, uh, this episode with a friend, a musician, someone I've known for years and have been able to share space with doing the You're Going to Die events here in the Bay Area. And so we'll get to that in a second. But I I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge something else. For those of you that follow us on social media, um, and if you don't, you may already know about this, but if you don't, please do. You can go to our website, YG2D.com, and just click the social media links there at the bottom of our, our page. But also just look up You're Going to Die on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all the things. Um, Please do love to stay connected there. And we do do some posts that relate to so much of what we talk about in the show. But if you do follow us on social media, you may know about this already. But I wanted to take a moment to name it here and name her. I got in touch with someone who works in death and dying and has for years, decades, and I knew when I reached out to them that they were terminal and dying, but a friend encouraged me to just say, hey, do you want to be on the show? And I did, and and they said yes, excitedly. Shotzi Weisberger, uh, an American death educator, activist, and nurse in New York City, scheduled an interview with me for the podcast. And a couple days went by where there was kind of some radio silence through our messaging. Um, And then I got word that she died a day or two before we were supposed to talk. And so I wanted to name her here. And like I did online, on Instagram, especially, and, and when the New Yorker published a piece about her and her life and her death, I felt compelled to let people know that we had been in touch and we're going to share a conversation, but it's special for me to like feel that loss and miss that chance. And, and I'm so sorry we couldn't have a conversation to share with you on the show, but also significantly feel her impact. And so then as a declaration for how our dead still speak to us and teach us, I have my little version of that and how close I got to, to be in conversation with Shotzi for the show. And, also then get the message of how fleeting and fragile and sudden life is and can end. And knowing that she lived a life that in the last days and hours, she was making plans, not in denial, but soaking up and getting as much as she could out of her time here in ways that matter from her heart. And that's the message I got the the inspiration to be that in my own work and in my own world and in my own community, the people I connect to doing what I do. And so I want to just take a moment to acknowledge Shotzi here, her life and her death, and make room for that lineage she represents in community in these conversations. So thank you, Shotzi. So sorry we didn't get to talk, but I, I hear you. I feel we are in conversation still now. Speaking of conversations, let's get to this episode's conversation. A nice, tender-hearted end-of-the-year episode with a friend and a successful musician out creatively in the world in a way, and we talk about it in in this episode, in a way maybe immeasurably connected to the most significant loss of his life. It feels both personally like the perfect way to end of the year, having a friend on the show, but also someone who you get by now if you've been listening to the show, really represents a part of the community who brings a kind of medicine that I need and get more often in this form than maybe anywhere else, uh, the medicine of music. Avi Vinokur is a San Francisco singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer. Vinokur is best known for his work as a co-front man of the acclaimed Americana band Goodnight Texas, for his poignant blues folk solo records, and increasingly over the past couple of years as an occasional collaborator and live background vocalist mandolin player for Metallica. His songs have also made appearances in places like the opening scene of Netflix, Tiger King, the Academy Award-winning documentary, Free Solo, Coors, Budweiser, and Jack Daniels commercials, and Major League Baseball games. Avi's performed the national anthem before the first pitch three times. So I hope this is a, a sweet, heartwarming episode for you, like it was for me to have. In this last episode of 2022... In this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with my friend and musician Avi Vinokur. I think I've been very
1: fortunate in the last few years, a lot more fortunate than, than a lot of other musicians have been. I've had, I've had a job that I can work. I've gotten to play music, you know, in live streaming ways. My, uh, my employer, the band Metallica had me perform with them a couple times in the pandemic yeah which was surreal and really a, a great a great way to, to pass the time I suppose to, to <laughs> sit and learn some yeah, songs and totally and get to actually perform in the year 2020 um which mm-hmm. was a huge undertaking of uh testing and routine precautions and I there were months at a time where I just wasn't allowed to even go to the grocery store, really. I mean, just, just to keep everybody safe.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, I I guess I want to talk a little bit about your work with Metallica because it's just so special. And I feel like you're a person in the world, I think, and I hope that I'm maybe, maybe a version of for other people too, which is someone who's just like so deeply in their love for music, or let's just keep it general so deeply in what they love in so Mm -hmm. many different ways. Like what a miracle you know, like to be lucky enough to do all the things that we get to do. And, yeah. and so I'm kind of wanting to, I guess I do want to make a little room for that today. Just if you could share kind of what led to that, you doing work with Metallica and sort of what the stages are. I feel like it's been over 10 years, maybe that you've worked with them. Yeah, it has. Wow. It's been, it's been 14 years now.
1: Wow. Yeah. 2008 is when I started with them in how, March. So how did that begin? Hey, I I had an internship in college, and a, a fellow that worked there was an engineer and drummer named Pete. This is really what led to it. So um, when when you're a kid growing up without a father figure, mm-hmm. they they have Big Brother organizations, and specifically Jewish Big Brothers, which is the one I was in as a Jewish kid in L.A.
2: Mm-hmm. It was
1: like you know that was that was the, the place you'd go to to kind of ma- you know match up with. Somebody And so I my Jewish big brother was a, a playwright and author named Steve Kluger, who is incredible and still is a very close friend. And he introduced me to his cousin and that and that cousin was friends with this drummer engineer. oh, oh wow. Pete krawick, who <laughs> who then, at, while I was interning, he got me an internship at his studio in South of Market. He kind of asked me what I liked to do, and I I just wanted to work in music. And so yeah, he he just brought me up to their studio one day. He didn't really tell me what we were doing. Gave me an address and was like, "Meet me here. I need help with a project I'm doing."
2: Hmm.
1: He just uh, essentially had me help him with a project that that he they specifically get him to help with inventory stuff and. And he got me keyed in on all that and essentially kind of gave me, he didn't really have a lot of time to, uh, he was busy with the studio and with his other projects and they they wanted him to help them, you know, wanted him ar- around to help with the stuff, but he didn't have a lot of time. So yeah, he he just kind of gave me his job almost. He was like, here, can you, you can do to use this program. Yeah. And yeah. so I started kind of helping with that inventory. Oh and then I was like around as a runner. Uh, and yeah, we just kind of hit, we're pretty different but we could we definitely hit it off yeah. and i just kept showing up to work i kept texting him and being like anyway. what else yeah what else yeah and so i was still in college and i started just working there as just mm-hmm. a runner and I'd get lunch I'd do whatever and then at some point someone was like oh you you can tune guitars right it's like yeah so i started doing that when mm-hmm. their text couldn't be around and and it was like, I was just around a lot for many years. And at some point, they they knew I was a musician, and they heard my stuff. And and then James asked me to sit in with him at a solo show. You know, that went well. And then they ended up inviting me to play with them when they went acoustic at this uh, benefit show for their charity. And and then so in the pandemic, I was in the bubble with them because I was working. Right. And it was like, well, I'm here. You know, you're going to do this benefit show live stream. Let's, let's do it. So that's amazing yeah and so it just keeps uh, keeps going I'm just around I'm I'm glad to have work I think I'd do it if I didn't need to do it Mm. too yeah you know if it like it's just fun to to be around I I love the guys Mm. I love the crew uh, you know the whole job itself is kind of a thing that I didn't I didn't grow up with Mm -hmm. like I didn't really have I mean since i didn't have like a dad i didn't have a dad figure like tools and stuff like that wasn't like my my mm-hmm. bag so like this was like my crash course in like you know i don't know dad mode or something like how to, <laughs> yeah. how, to, how, met-
0: to <laughs> how to how to like how to, metallica's your dad like in a yeah, while Like you're how saying how to use the right wrench how, <laughs> yeah, to, totally. how to
1: you know how to fix a i don't i don't even know like how to how to get this this <laughs> yeah. paint off of this Metal, yeah. you know, with with a solution. I or, totally know, like, relate. I totally. It's just relate. like I, I never yeah. really learned that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, so it's like, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's in some ways, like I feel like this job has sort of been like my, just like kind of like a little bit of a like, a little bit of a like a dad in
3: mm-hmm. that
0: way. It's I guess there's part of me that's feeling the power of the story going back to there and having the through line of it i didn't ask expecting that but it feels really wild to hear you make that connection and know that 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 experience has offered you something that was missing uh but but also that you found that you went and sought out when you were younger You were looking for people, you know, uh, guys to kind of fill that role, um, in a way, right? Specifically, my mom did. My mom. Oh, really? She was encouraging that. She was the Jewish. She connected me with the Jewish
1: Big Brother. Okay. Yeah, she wanted. She wanted that for me too. And Mm -hmm. and uh, would I be here if my dad wasn't going to die? I don't. I don't think so. I don't know if she necessarily was a kids person. Uh, She sort of. You know, I think she she was happy being herself and Mm. but they did together when he found out he was terminal, they decided to have a kid
2: Mm. to
1: keep so she wouldn't be alone. That that's really why they decided to have you? Yeah. He was diagnosed with terminal cancer and yeah, about a year before I was born, or maybe a little
0: longer. Mm. Can you get can you can you share as much as you're comfortable with about what she tells you about that time, um, I know it feels like a general question, but I almost like I almost want to give you the space right now to like get to as many parts as you can from that mm. in a way that. I think what's a risk of doing, you're going to die for so long and having conversations from my perspective of how I'm in the world, which I just want to say, and it matters to me that I feel very like akin to your experience. Again, I don't, I never want to be like, oh, I get it. I get what it's like. You know, uh, your dad died when you were three. Like I don't, but I definitely have the sort of missing presence of my dad. And I think in a lot of ways, what I do now and how I'm in the world is because of that, you know? Yeah absolutely that's i it shaped my life
1: and my perspective on mm-hmm. relationships and a sense of empathy for other other people i think i just kind of grew up with that very present i mm-hmm. had to confront that at such a young age yeah. and that it like my my mom you know taught me how to deal with it and how to be you know strong about it but how to be and how to be open how to mm-hmm. talk about it mm-hmm. how to how to make light of it too to ease People's, you know, discomfort about it because you know when you're a kid and you're four years old and you, you know, walk up to someone and you're like, "My dad's dead." Yeah, it's it's you know that can be really painful to pe- to other people, mm-hmm. and you don't see that, and you mm-hmm. sort of because you grow up with this, and it's like this this thing about you that, you know, and I think it was important to to her and to me that, you know, that I. You learned that other, other people are going through things that are very different and I can relate to them, but it's not like you were saying. It's like, I don't know what it's, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what your situation is like. I don't, you can't really relate specifically to any, you know, every, every age that you lose a parent is, is a unique yeah. situation. I mean, yeah. It's, it's different. It's like you, if you lose a parent at three, I, I think in many ways it's easier than losing a parent in high school. Mm-hmm. or like at these formative moments, but in some ways it's harder. Yeah. I mean, obviously you never have a chance to get to know your father. I think it's worse in that way,
2: mm-hmm. but it's
1: also, there are so many unique things and it, it definitely gave me a, a sense of empathy for other people and how much pain, you know, can change, you know, the way people see the world and the way they live their lives and mm-hmm. to just be respectful of that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was that was something that was important to learn from a young age, and I think it was something I had to learn to to get through it. Yeah.
0: Um, well, i I have so many questions. This is going to be unfair because I don't want to like. An- I don't want you to feel like I'm just analyzing no, no. you and picking you apart. But no, the, the one good. thing, yeah, okay. The one thing I want to say is that I just I just wonder if you can relate to this experience of. You just start to, you know, I could just start to have my mom's death as being, there's a couple ways to go with this. My, my, my mom's death as this kind of like canned answer that I end up at. It's like, all right, well, you know, this is the story, the origin story. And Mm. the fact is like, when I settle into this, this fact of her dying and, and, and what it's done in my life and what it means about how I am here, there's so many other intricacies and details that are now like almost unfolding currently. And, I, and I'm really feeling that, no surprise today on, on her birthday, how I could have a moment where I'm looking at a photo of her and I laughing and I feel the laughter. And I laugh, and and then I have tears immediately, and so it's like I know there's a living relationship going on with her, and so what I'm curious about, in in that I have many questions, is giving you room maybe to describe what it is today. You know, what is it? Um, what is that death to you today, and what is that relationship with him now? And that's like really general, and so that's why I know I might be asking a lot here, but it is like an opportunity where I want to like give us space to really dig into this, and I think, I I think I want to start by going back to, I guess, as much as you can remember your mom telling you about that decision they made and what hopes were wrapped up in it. And, and then I guess even like, then the next thing is like, when did that start to become a real reality to you? You know, Um, like what age do you remember talking about this fact of your life, you know, his death and, and you know, the discovery of it or when she finally could sit you down and talk to you about it in a way that you could comprehend and remember it, you know. I mean I
1: I will say we we talked about it before it happened too. Mm. I mean not that I can really remember sure. that, but it was something that was like it was, you know, my dad was sick for mm-hmm. most of my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh you know, I have a couple memories of, of him, sort of. And But I I know that pretty much from right away, we were very open about it. Um, She was very open about her grief about it because, I mean, she, you know, she went into the hospital sort of shortly after he died. I think she was just in a deep depression about Mm. it and had to just sort of go away for a little bit. And Mm. I would visit her. My grandparents came up from Atlanta. And, you know, it was was definitely scary as a kid, but, you know, she needed— that time to mm-hmm. kind of, it was just such an enormous, unbelievable thing.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah. So you'd and, have been uh, like three, four, five during that time? I, like how long I was, was she gone? Four, I mm. think, or maybe still three. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, a, but I feel like it, I mean, it's tough to say when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably, probably a month, or, mm-hmm. but it could have been like two weeks mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but you know, she, that was it was sort of always something that was very much part of my life and our discussions. And, uh, as far as knowing when it was, that it was actually their decision to have me because of it, I feel like I was older when we finally talked about that, Mm. maybe in middle school or high Mm -hmm. school, like 13, 14. Um, yeah, I think they, yeah, I, I, I think it gave me a, knowing that gave me a big sense of, of purpose. Or like, you know, like two people really, you know, really wanted this. And, you know, and they wanted, my dad specifically wanted me to keep my mom company.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, mm-hmm. and it was like, you know, I should, I should, uh, I mean, I was 14, but I was like, I should hang out with her more. Yeah, do you remember <laughs> that? You remember that? No, she's she's really the best and the most. We've always gotten along. Mm. I don't think there was a period where we didn't mm-hmm. get along. I mean, maybe briefly when I was a teenager, where we would sure butt heads or something stupid. Yeah, but
0: normal stuff like that.
1: What's your yeah, dad's name? My my dad's name was Myron. Mm. Yeah, kind of older. He was much older. I mean, he was born nineteen thirty one. So he'd be in his nineties, wow. yeah. Now, so he's sort of another generation, mm-hmm. and I've always sort of felt connected to like that generation in some way, yeah. Or like it's like my mom's parents were that generation also. So it was sort of this mismatch in age. My mm-hmm. mom was, you know, in her early thirties when they had me, and he was in his, you know, fifties wow. when they had me. So yeah, he died when he was fifty six. Okay. So, um, yeah. That seemed old to me for a long time, and it doesn't anymore. (laughs) It seems very young to me now.
0: Hey everybody, Ned here. I just want to take a moment of your time to say a special big thank you to a specific group of people that supports what we do here with your Going to Die the podcast. As you know, lots of ways to support the podcast. Share these episodes with your friends and family. Like send it out into the world on social media. When you find an episode that matters to you, give it to someone else. Like that spreading of what we're up to with word of mouth, invaluable immeasurably invaluable. And then again, of course, ratings and reviews through your podcast platform. Go into Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever platform you listen in. It takes less than a minute. Go into your app, find our main page for the podcast, and click five stars, and leave some words of acknowledgement. That stuff matters so much for our visibility. We pay attention, people pay attention. But this moment in this show is for one specific community that I want to say thank you to. If you don't know already, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. So funding to support our prison program, our work with cancer patients, our work making room for community who need support for needs like the grief space we offer, the healing we hopefully offer. Funding and contributions matter so much for what we're up to. And it is no different for the podcast. And one specific way you can help and get involved and support this particular iteration of you're going to die is by becoming a patron on Patreon. This is the encouraging invitation for you to do that. Every time moving forward from this point on, every time we get a new patron on the podcast, we're going to make time in the episode to say their name and acknowledge that they're a part of the community of supporters who make the show possible. If you want to be counted among those people who will be acknowledged with a name mentioned in a show, now's your chance. Go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D. And to make sure that it's all fair, I want to acknowledge right now the current 50 or so members that are patrons right now supporting this podcast. It's kind of a way of of saying, hey, you all listening, these are people who uh, you should even say thank you to. They're part of why we're able to do the show every episode. So here it goes. Let me keep it as succinct as possible. Apologies for the name butchering. I, I could not reach out to everybody to say how do you say your name? So I'm just gonna do my best here. Thank you all of you, starting with Sarah Wells Ikeda, Carrie LeJoulier, Gio Merjani, Elonia, Penny Kittle, Lindsay Hardy, Stacy Cook, Laura, Alexandra Stefan, Melissa Leah Bullock, Stacy Fetter. Sarah Howard, Karen Moraitis, Kathleen Coleman, Suze Sunshine Hatcher, Shannon Jackson Arnold, Catherine Turnbull, Michael Sperling, Josiah Johnson, Ryan Bray, Blair Linnum, Carmina Eliason, Carly Capco, Alisa and Rye Death Salon, Linda Hobson, Sarah Lewis, MRB, Gabrielle Cole, RELP, Diane, Charlotte Nixon, April Storm, Melinda Kausek, Lucia, Gregory Shuft, Maya Piccoli, Laura Carrillo, Claire Shuft, Aaron Elliott, Emily Ring, Seth Avachila, PDX Pete, Sarah V, Laura Page Powers, Kara Shuft, Ben Shereggi, Danielle Cleaver, Ali Sperling, Hilary Rappaport, Tracy Friesen, Sean Jewell, Anna Hurst, Heather Fairley Denbro, and Casey Shuft. Thank you to all of you, our patrons through Patreon, for making this show possible. And that, again, is an invitation for all of you moving forward. Every time we get a new patron, you can contribute as little as $1 a month. Trust me, it matters. It adds up. We will name your name here on the show moving forward every time we get a new patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D or click the link in the show notes. And thanks again to all of you for listening. That matters more than anything you can do to let our little show get in your little ear canals. Thank you all.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always there. I think, I don't think it, I think that's the thing about, you know, it's like you kind of just learn to live with it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. disappear. It doesn't go away when you lose somebody like this it's just kind of with you it's part of you but it add, it it adds to your strength and your resiliency and your your love and the passion for things you do and people you're around because mm-hmm. um, you know how fragile it all is and how lucky you are to be able to do what you love uh, I think it it I, when I turned 18, I, I kind of had these, like, series of crazy panic attacks coming on being an adult for the first time uh, and was just kind of, like, overwhelmed by everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I kind of came to the conclu- this conclusion, like, internally, like, this, like, epiphany that I've kind of, re- like, related to and, and referred back to to help me get through times that are hard, which is that I, I feel like when you go through something like that, that a piece of you remains that age where, when it happened to you, it's like Mm -hmm. a scar um, in time or something. Mm. Uh, And so I feel like there's, there's like this, this, there's somewhere in me, there's this three-year-old that they can get overwhelmed by everything and not understand, you know, and, and I have to kind of like be conscious of that to be able to really work through um, grief when it comes up. Mm. But I, I think being in touch with that has been really helpful, but also sometimes just confronting it and giving into it is important mm-hmm. that I think, uh, I think you need, I think talking about it openly with other people is just like the most important thing. And I've mm-hmm. done that. I, I've been in therapy, you know, most of my life since mm-hmm. I was four, I used to be in therapy. Um, Pretty much immediately afterward. Yeah. I didn't even know it was therapy. It was just yeah, like you go and go talk to this person, play with the train and <laughs> yeah. talk to somebody. Right. Uh, but, you know, it was uh, grief still, it, it is, it sort of is just kind of always there. It doesn't always come up and you can still have a great, fun, and, you know, full life and uh, occasionally and, you know, to yourself, just reflect on it and, And it can get easier to deal with, and sometimes it's harder, and Mm -hmm. sometimes it flares up and makes it hard to, you know, do anything. You know, to to I don't know. It makes it hard to even just have conversations with people or go to work or you know. Mm -hmm. um, But those those times get fewer and further between Mm -hmm. as as you get older, and and they so they flare up, they come, they go, but it's always sort of
0: part of you. It's like a scar. Yeah, I mean, I especially appreciate the idea. Not that you don't have new grief about your dad all these That's years true, later, yeah. you know, but that there's a way that maybe most commonly the access point is this, this, yeah, little version of us, you know, that, that we're holding and that can give us that door back there, you know, to those parts. Um, yeah. I really, really appreciate that. How do you feel your dad's presence these
1: days? Mostly there is new grief. Uh, there is the, 37-year-old grief and the, mm-hmm. you know, 20-year, it's, there's different types of grief and it might be different every year. You never really know. I think my relationship with him now is, and kind of how it's always been is I'm like kind of an, like an archeologist for it. Like I love finding pictures and things because I, it's all a, sort of a mystery. I feel like I have yeah. this constant sense of discovery about him mm. and, and like, I get to learn something new or like I, a relative of mine, in Los Angeles found a cassette tape because he, I mean, the other thing is there, there as throughout my life, I've discovered things about my father that are like unbelievably identical to me, like Mm. on another level.
0: Uh, like for example, what have you, what have you discovered?
1: Well, like, so I, when I, uh, when I was going to college, I was like, really wanted to live in New York, but like, I, you know, I, and I, I, but I I didn't get into college in New York city and I like had this dream of doing it. And then I like found his high school dissertation, uh, like his end of high school thing, uh, just writing about wanting to move to New York and how much he connected and loved it. Yes, And, and the, you know, and like used similar words Mm. and things. Then, so this, and this one, this one, this one, this one blew my mind to a whole other level that I still kind of can't even wrap my head around. I don't even know what to say about this. Uh, I don't know if I've really told anybody this except Patrick. But um, so my my dad made up songs and comedy also, like did like sketch comedy on tapes and things with his brothers and cousins. mm mm-hmm. um, they make up characters and do voices, which is something I've always done. I used to make cassettes and do this as a kid before mm-hmm. I even knew he did it. Um, I found a cassette tape this this one that my relative gave, gave us, um, where uh, he, he they're making up characters. They're talking about I don't know what they're even talking about, but he his his cousin is is like interviewing him, like he's at this like like. I don't know, like he's on the scene of some crime that just happened or something. Mm -hmm. And he's like, here we are with the new, what's your name? And then it's either my cousin or my dad. It's kind of hard to tell them apart. Uh, Says, oh, John Farquhar, which is the title of our album is Uncle John Farquhar. (laughs) And this is my dad in 1951 or something with his cousins.
0: Oh my God. Like picked this name. (laughs) It was like, what? It's not a family name. No, it's actually Patrick's family name. (laughs) Oh my God, that's insane! And it was like,
1: what? And they, they repeated. I heard it and was like,
0: I and like the tri- album I was, I, already. The album was out yes, by the, the time you heard the this. album came out in twenty fourteen. I shit. found this tape
1: last year. Oh my God! It was like I, I I recorded. I was recording basically. I was bouncing the tape into digital. Yeah. And just kind of kind of casually listening to it, and I was gonna focus more on it later. Mm. But I just kind of heard that and was like, what? Yeah. There's just all these like strange coincidences, and then we have our song. uh uh, button your collar, whereas you know it's, I say f- like for crying out loud mm-hmm. in a way that that apparently apparently is like exactly how he said it, and he said that all the time. I had no idea. How did like you discover little, that? Little, little stuff like that, like your that's mom also hear it and tell on. you that she's like, "Did you know your dad said for crying out loud and almost <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> like that,
2: like every single day of his life, <laughs> oh, anytime man, anyone that's said so anything?" Wild,
1: yeah. It's just like little, and the way I walk apparently is similar. Like there mm-hmm. are some things that are just genetic, mm-hmm. and I think. I think humor is one of them and, yeah. and uh, mannerisms and yeah, it's, I definitely didn't learn it f- from him because mm-hmm. I well, we weren't yeah, around each other exactly. long enough, but they're just, there are, I've had a lot of strange coincidences. I'll, here's one more was when I went with my mom on a river rafting trip in like 1992 or something, three. Mm-hmm. And we uh, went to like Sacramento and we, there was like this river guide who was like our guy. He was like a storyteller um, character guy. And at the end, like we were talking about it and we you know, exchanged names and he's like, Oh man, that name's familiar. Wow. And, uh, and then he, he left and then we were packing up to leave. And then he turned around apparently and came back like as we were going to leave. And he, he pulls up and he's like, Myron Vanoker, do you? And, and it's like, yeah, that was, oh that's his, that's his father. And he's like, Myron Vanoker drove me from Detroit to Muncie, New York for college oh my gosh. with my dad, and they worked together. I was just like, what? Yeah, that's insane. Like, what is this? <laughs> and uh, yeah, just like little things have popped up throughout my life like that. Mm. It's like, wow, I don't know.
0: Do you have um, uh, dreams? You know, have you ever had that kind of like feeling his presence in some other way or, cause that, I mean, that full on is just like I mean, there's him just, just tapping you on the shoulder. You it's know? been some funny stuff like mm. that. I mean, I,
1: I think, I think dreams like minimally, I, when I was younger, I, I yeah. think I did more. Mm. Maybe where his like, I had one dream as a kid where his voice sort of came over a radio, mm. like in the sort of static, that mm-hmm. um, I kind now. of remembered yeah. mm-hmm. very vividly and I still sort of can picture it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I was 12 or something. Yeah, But yeah, yeah, I, I, it hasn't been as as much like dreams. Yeah. It's literally, I suppose.
0: Yeah, me neither. Um, I, I kind of wish, you know, I keep yeah, like calling nice. my mom to like show up more in those spaces cuz boy, what a like almost like, close to just life, you know? Yeah,
1: just like come hang out for a yeah, little Yeah, why not? <laughs> uh yeah. yeah, but now it's his his presence definitely mm. it's definitely there though. Yeah. You know, uh in, in different ways and I think it, it It pops. I mean, like, I'm I'm getting married in about three weeks. Oh
0: wow! I didn't know that. Congratulations! Yeah, Yeah, that's incredible. In our
1: backyard. Yeah. um, Yeah. I. I. That's something where it's like, you know, I really wish he could be there. I. Mm -hmm. I. I wish he could meet Danny. Yeah. Is the thing. You know, like I. I know he would love her. Mm -hmm. Her grandfather was from Detroit too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's all this these connections. They were like similar age. It's like it would have been would have been great. Yeah. But you know. But also, I have this conflict of like, yeah, but like I wouldn't necessarily. I know have come to California. I, mean, I was born in Connecticut. He lived in Connecticut. We moved to California because my mom's sister lived out here, and she kind of mm-hmm. needed help with me.
0: Needed yeah, that part clothes. of like you being with Danny is like, because been, in some way. Yeah, you know, there's
1: there's always that you know it mm-hmm. sent me on a path that is beautiful in its own way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I wish he could. I wish he could could meet her.
0: Of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think about myself much this way, you know, as some kind of conduit. What I do think is that the, the, having conversations like this makes rooms, you know, makes room for our dad, you know, and so that like not a fix at all. Of course, could he just be alive still and be a part of that? Obviously, Mm -hmm. I know that's what you mean, but also like feeling him right now, you know, like just making room like my today for my mom, just that, that act of somehow through the grief or talking about the story of there's a way they show up. And, uh, and so I, and I, and I, and I, I, know that depends on a bit of us, like taking the initiative to create the time and space for, for our dead, um, and which is why having conversation like this matters so much. It's like, I know that's such a significant, it's such a weird thing, right? It's a significant absence mm-hmm. simultaneously, right? Presence and absence of your life. And also mm-hmm. acknowledging like, just because your life is beautiful and, and it, you, it has you in the world in so many ways that seem to directly connect all the way back to him. There's also, and I've, I had a, another conversation for the podcast with Megan Devine and and you know, have this moment of how we just quickly are like, here's all the gifts that came from this loss. But that there doesn't take away the fact that there could be some other beautiful reality with your dad having lived. And so that yeah. they're holding both of that those at the same time, you know. Yeah. It's like I wouldn't I wouldn't trade my life
1: you Know from how it turned out, of course, Mm-mm. but uh, you know, yeah, it'd just be great to share it with him. But mm-hmm. you know, and it's 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 fun to picture that sometimes, I suppose, mm. just like what it would be like to, you know, yeah, like what if I stayed in New England and, yeah. and grew up over there and. Uh, it's like, what, what, what would my life be like? Would I be a musician? I feel I like- I mean,
0: that's a th- here's the thing. Yeah, go ahead. I want to hear that. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, I, I, learned, I learned music in California. Yeah. I mean, I guess in some ways though, it's like, you know, he made cassette tapes and made up music. It I probably would have ended up there yeah. at Some. Some. whether I liked it or not.
0: But- uh, I mean, your talent alone, like how great you are as a singer, songwriter, you know, what you put in the world. There's some trust I have that no matter what, wherever you w- would have ended up, y- you would have been- doing something like this, but there also something like lovely and romantic about thinking it's connected, you know, in a way. I mean,
1: I, I, yeah, I don't know where, uh, (laughs) where exactly I'd be, but, but it's, yeah, I like to think that he played a role here or, or not here in, uh, ending up there
0: well, it just just to go back to this story of you you know your mom encouraging you yeah to go and and find the kind of masculine male presence uh that you were lacking yeah. after your dad had died, but that the through line of your music really definitively is woven through all that feels really you know, special, which, you know, can come all the way to now, which, you know, I want to make some time to talk about one of the new tracks that you put out in the last few months about your dad and just want to hear a little bit about how you got to that. And what yeah, what brought that into the world? That song was extremely fast.
1: It wasn't one that I like spent uh, as much time as you, you would think for such a personal song, I guess it was just kind of an accident. It like kind of, fell out. I, hmm. I joined this songwriting group and I had this prompt. It was like the first week I was in it. And the prompt was, I'd rather not. And I think That's I it. I'd rather not was like, you got to make a song out of I'd rather not.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and, uh, it doesn't have to be called that it can just be a lyric in it, but I decided to call it that just cause mm-hmm. it kind of like summed it up. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, yeah, I think my, my initial reaction was that I'd rather not. Would maybe yield something funnier, mm-hmm. and then it was like almost a challenge to try to make it as 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 uh, ups, as upsetting as possible. Well, wait, yeah. Yeah. wait, no, why? But, wait, why? No, okay, go ahead. Go it ahead. just
2: was like it
1: just started flowing, and it was like, oh, this is like this is dark. This is like you real. could. T- it just was going there. It Just yeah, it just was going
0: there. Well, and where like, was the comedy part? Like, what was that? Were you at first thinking like th- this could I feel be like funny? My
1: first, my first reaction was like. I don't yeah, know, yeah, something,
0: something with like,
1: <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, uh, yeah, give me the early, <laughs> the early comedy version of the song. You know, like yeah. oh I can't even go there right now. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, something something along the lines of where I'd rather not breaks up, like you're telling a story or something like, uh, invited me to your parents' house and it was great, you know, and you took me upstairs and I'd rather not, you know, I don't (laughs) know. That's good, like, just
0: like, (laughs) yeah, that's good. I like it.
1: (laughs) Like, it just seemed like, uh, it seemed like I, I just could picture that. That's the first thing that jumped into my head was using I'd rather not as. As a, cor- as like yeah, a punchline an to like yeah. something really, su- you know, sweet
0: and earnest. I see. It's and, like uh, the uh, lyrics are building into this like romantic, whatever moment, let's say. And then yeah. the I rather not is the punchline of, of, yeah, the shift. Yeah, totally. I, I don't know. But so what, so you're headed towards that. I wasn't, I wasn't even
1: necessarily headed towards okay. that, but I tried to maybe think in, inversely about it. Mm. Like what would be. Cause also I'm trying to introduce myself for the first time in the songwriting group. So I want to be your first song. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be uh, genuine, you know, I want mm-hmm. it to sound like, like me. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know it would end up being a good night, Texas song. It just felt right once we did it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it just kind of snowballed very quickly mm. and I, I, I really turned on my microphones and just recorded it once. And that's, that's the version
0: that's, do you have any theories? I mean, you, you strike me as a person who's just like, I'm not overthinking it. It just like came into being and I was there to hold, receive it and get it out. But I also wonder if you have theories about why, you know, why your dad now, you know, like why in this song? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really, at least with the band,
1: I don't really write a lot of, Personal songs, mm. maybe there. I mean, there's there's personal stuff hidden in them, or there mm-hmm. it's inspired by personal things, or uh, um, but it's I write a lot of songs about places and people and setting and uh, you know,
0: yeah, storytelling. I feel like you're just uh, a yeah, really it's, it's, great storyteller of that kind of thing, songs, and it, yeah. it
1: just I've got a few personal ones, but I I didn't really I've, I don't think I've ever really written a song that's captured this really serious personal element of my life. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, and I just, it felt like finally I kind of was able to sort of sum a lot, sum up, uh, what it's like to have grief, uh, just kind of not go away. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, I, I think the kind of the cowboy side of you wants to, you know, push it aside and not deal with it, and yeah. uh, and then, you know, part of you knows that you're supposed to, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's something. I think that's something that a lot of people have probably felt, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, it just kind of came together and seemed to finally capture it for the first time in a song. Yeah. Did you play it for your mom? Uh, I did. I sent it to her. How was that? Um, she couldn't figure out how to open it, so <laughs> she still hasn't heard it. <laughs> she still hasn't heard it. No, I, I, am am joking. She, I she <laughs> No, she. she I, I can't I can't be serious. I'm sorry. No, I. You know uh, what?
0: Let me, Avi. <laughs> I just keep talking <laughs> about this lately. Cause like, I, I no, you're not. I mean, like yeah. I want, this is what's, I think is really wonderful about you too. And the this like, again, we're not like best friends, but like, I know you well enough to know that you do, you are funny. You do, you do know how to like use humor as an entertainer, but also just as a human being. And, and I've just been lately wanting to like, I I've just been declaring it more. I mean, I do enough crying. I do enough like heavy feelings and so I, I, no, I it's agree. Good it's good to laugh. There's, there's
3: a balance. <laughs> yeah. And, totally. Like there's
0: humor in, in everything like
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: that. Yeah.
1: And uh, but yeah, I she she did hear it and really liked it. hmm Yeah. Um I don't remember I can't remember recall having a specific conversation about that specific song other than the whole the album as a whole when I sort yeah. of sent her the whole you know, all the stuff I was working on. Yeah. Um yeah. But yeah, and, she, and for the record, because I'm, I'm sure she'll listen to this, she does know how to open an MP3 in an email. <laughs> and she's, in fact, great at it. So good. Just giving her a nod. That's But getting, stuff. getting the pictures off the phone, that's one
0: thing. <laughs> that's though. another thing. We could, we, could, <laughs> we could work on.
2: I saw my father last night Walking toward a dim light I called for him to turn around But he kept walking clouds they listened in gray to every word i would say somehow nothing ever comes of all the talking and i awaken grinding teeth down till they rot i could try to deal with all the pain now but i'd rather not I wander lonesome sometimes, sift the dirt for some dimes Try to save enough to make it through the winter But the windows they break, can't keep from shivering awake The crooked walls around the house they start to splinter Sometimes I feel like I've been cut, and it won't clot I could try to deal with all the pain But I'd rather not along with the text the downs and ups are all familiar after so long I've worked on beating them down and hiding in a new town it's all easier than admitting I've been wrong I've been dealt a hand that's missing cards but it's what I've got I could try to deal with all the pain But I'd rather not, I'd rather not, I'd rather not.
0: That was Avi's song, I'd Rather Not. Check out Avi through all the links in the show notes. Uh, Avi Vinokur, V-I-N-O-C-U-R, and check out Goodnight Texas too. I'll make sure all the links are available so you can get to all that stuff. I'm not going to rattle off all those websites, but definitely connect up to the guy and his goodness and music in the world and what he's doing with Goodnight Texas and Metallica. Uh, A really good person worth having in your life, even if it's just through the social media influence. Speaking of good people, good musicians, and people who influence others positively. Billy Joel. Oh, (laughs) Billy Joel, everyone. Yep, Nick got let go. Pinguero. Billy Joel. <laughs> <She's my laughs> Billy, Billy Joel, everyone. Nick Jana was officially uh, let go. We won't say who <laughs> if he quit or was fired, but he's not a producer anymore. But Billy Joel has stepped in, and uh, he just,
2: uh, he, just uh,
0: <laughs> he just sings his songs. So far, I can't get him to have a real conversation. Billy, how you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, what's up? Talk to me. What's, what's on your mind and heart right now in ways that hopefully connects uh, to something of value <laughs> in the episode that the listeners just listened to? Well,
3: first, I'm going to ask you a question, Ned. Mm-hmm. Marmalade? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> this is like an old callback. Uh, this is um, me talking through trying to remember what <laughs> marmalade means. It's an invitation to get real and speak from the heart.
3: Marmalade essentially means it's a response to when somebody says, how are you? You can oh, say right, marmalade, God, right, marmalade is, translates to, um or do you have the capacity to hear like a, a deep, perhaps troubling answer to your question, or would okay. you rather keep it kind of surface? You
0: know, right, great. Um, I just want to make an overt, not forced connection to my conversation recently on the podcast with another guest, and it and it's really stuck with me, which is that we need to open our arms more and receive stories from others w- led by the question, what troubles you? And marmalade feels like a version of, can you be with what troubles me? Mm. Oh, that's a great way to phrase it. Yeah. And I am definitively game (laughs) for that. Serve it up. Slap it on some toast, my friend.
3: I had the most uh, ridiculous phone call with a doctor the other day. I'll leave names out of this and identifying details. But I was, I would been searching for a doctor to help me with something and I got a referral, and they called me, and the, it, it their attitude was instantly like I had cold called them in the middle of dinner with like a scam. They were instantly angry at me, just just out of the box, and interrupted. You cold called them, and they answered the phone. <laughs> they called me. Oh oh oh. Okay, sorry. No, no. I'm saying their attitude was like it was as though you
0: know. <laughs> Oh, they called you, and they acted like you'd uh, like done a, a sales call at eight o'clock at yeah. night while they're eating dinner. Yeah, yeah okay. Um,
3: They called lame. me. This is like Already a new doctor, lame. potentially, you know. Mm-hmm. And they were like instantly angry at me, <laughs> and um, would cut me off anytime I try to ask a question, and even just me starting to say like, "Well, eighteen months ago, I." And he went, "Yeah, I've got your history right here." <laughs> oh, like, right, does it have every thought and feeling I've had? <laughs> oh, the medical realm. The <laughs> and then I said, "You know, I, I said, well, the important thing is that I took this medication and it had all these side effects and it was really bad." And and then I said, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I've 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 been a doctor for decades and I've dealt with a lot of patients, oh. you know." And I, and I started asking this question. I was going to ask him, "Do you have any patients who have had the same side effects from this medication?" And I only got as far as, "Do you have any patience?" And he said, "Yes." Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, "Do you really know what
0: I'm going <laughs> to say here? I'm not just asking. Do you have patience?" <laughs> uh, and and both, right? I mean, it's like two different questions, really. <clears throat> like, sir, do you have patience to wait for me to finish this question? Clearly not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, do you have was... patience at all? Because really, the guy it seems like <laughs> he shouldn't
2: have any.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at one point, he was like. Well, well, you're you're not dead, so you're doing all right. Like, and that and, was the line. <laughs> and and it, it, you stopped taking the medication, so I guess you don't need it. It was like, uh, there, sir, there is a condition oh. between dead and completely fine. <laughs> oh. As a doctor, I would hope that you would have some gray area of like. <laughs> I just like the wow. idea. He like walks into a room. He's like, "Oh, well, you're not dead. Okay, you don't need wow. me. <laughs> yeah, you know." But it this- was so. I only bring that up because it was so ridiculous that I could actually laugh in the moment at it. You did? I, yeah. And it, it still upset me and it's still like my health and so many factors, but like, yeah, I, I was like saying to him at the time, just like, wow, this, what kind of bedside
0: manner is this? And you know, mm.
3: he, he, he had none of it, but you know,
0: wait, wait, hold on now. Cause I want to be clear about everything you said. Did you actually laugh? On the call. Yes. Yeah. I was laughing. Did you, (laughs) great. It was so ridiculous. Did you, did you also ask him directly about the bedside manner thing? Like, did you say that? Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to hear how, tell me exactly what you asked (laughs) and how he dealt with it.
3: As, as stated, he wasn't interested in any of my questions, no matter Mm -hmm. how serious they were. So at one point when he just said like, well, well, uh, it's good that you're not dead. You know, like I just, Laughed out mm. loud, and I said, "Like, is this your bedside manner?" He just ignored <laughs> that, um, like he ignored everything. Oh, um, that—that's an example of <laughs> a marmalade type answer to a question that, like, perhaps a lot of people uh, don't don't have the capacity to listen to. I mean, yeah. I, I I was focusing on the funny aspects of that; that made it more well.
0: I, I hmm. wanna connect though, this, <laughs> this you if the doctor knew about marmalade, if you'd answered, you know, the oh, phone man. and said well, before we continue marmalade, it sounds like the doctor be like, I'm sorry, I don't, I, I can't. So you just need to like, let me say what I need to. And then the call needs to end. I think I'm under the mistaken impression that
3: doctors have pre-agreed to marmalade off the bat. Mm. Like they're willing to hear troubling stuff. One and it seems hope. like a lot of them don't want to hear it. They just want to hear,
0: are you dead? Okay, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, one would hope. and And I would just want to say at the risk of, you know, having people that listen to this show regularly hear us or even guests talk about like the brokenness of the healthcare system that we know, and maybe Nick would disagree, but we know there are places, (laughs) we know there are places out there. I've been in those places and with those healthcare professionals that are so receptive and open and caring and are more questions than ever a definitive answer, which can also, by the way, end up being its own frustrating thing. But, but I would rather that the continued, mm-hmm. like, I'm not sure. I don't know. Let's try it out. Like, what is it feeling? Like you are, you are the one to be providing answers. And, and I'm just going to throw this doctor unnamed into the patriarchy, uh, broken patriarchy, uh, system influence the medical reality. This like, you know, the, the inclination to be a human being that's in caring for others who doesn't do a great job of it because they, uh, are, are about like making problems go away. And so the earliest version of them doing that is like, is this really a problem at all Mm -hmm. before they get to, okay, yeah, you do have something definitive that I can admit finally is like worth our time. Um, and your money, you know, whatever. Yeah really feeling that. And, and and this conversation, this other interview I had that was before this us recording now, it's not in this episode, but it touches on a bit of this culture that we live in that has us feeling so scared of needing to go to, to the doctor at all because of an experience like you had, putting band-aids on mortal wounds because of that worry and because of the cost and the struggle of trying to get care in, in this world and in the medical systems that we have.
3: Yeah. And I I wrote him an email afterwards and I said, uh, that's an inappropriate way to talk to anyone in any situation. Um, I'm, I'm here to receive help and I'm asking for your advice and expertise and like, it's just Mm -hmm. not acceptable, you know? And Mm -hmm. I, I wonder how often, A doctor like that gets that kind of feedback. Um, I, 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 a a lot of the hurt that I have is just thinking of other people going into that situation Mm. without knowing that there's any other option, you know, like I do, I am at least aware that there are other types of doctors that I can see and other types of help. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, and so how is he talking to like a non white male, anybody else? Um, Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, who knows? But 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 that your consideration is that, you know, um the anyone else would go there weak, sick, ill, um, not not with whatever confidence that you could like source um or strengths and powers you could source to have a a, a moment where you would be able to type out clearly this doesn't work. Like don't don't do this yeah. to people, you know? Yeah. Um like who is he how is he dealing with human beings out there? Yeah. Yeah. Um Well, thanks for sharing your marmalade. Yeah. Appreciate it. It can be fun. Yeah, it can (laughs) be. And it was, and and it's disheartening (laughs) simultaneously. Um, But there is laughter and relief, which is kind of what we shared the other night. Nick joined me and Chelsea in one of our in-person meaning out of mortality workshops. And it felt like a version of what we just shared, which is like, let's just name the thing that we're pretty upset about and actually end up laughing. Mm Mm-hmm. And feeling really glad to be a person in those kind of spaces and conversations where we can get that. It didn't fix it. And this doctor's still out there. And likely you're not going to see them and you still need somebody yeah. um, who's caring. But also we got to like share that. That that workshop was like directly after that call.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I was the first person you called <laughs> to say, like, how are you? And yes. I was just I barely could talk. I was just like, Just hate the medical system. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, it's fun too, because in that early part of that circle, Nick's one of the earlier people to share. I think of those moments as a way, like a magnet drawing forth, maybe the nails that have been pounded in us uh, in a day for for example mm-hmm. that the types of nails that got drawn forth in the sharing afterwards after you shared i'm not saying they wouldn't have brought these things up but i think you saying it helped people say oh here's my version of that yeah. and it happened repeatedly in that circle of 20 human beings after you you named it and and in and in fact actuality was like me chelsea and you all had these sort of medical relationships that are conflicted right now and relate, but there are our own stories. And, and so then we drew, drew forth more of that. And so the space ended up being a lot of different things in a night, but it was that particular kind of conversation that a lot of people needed, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Magic. Yeah. Yeah. Well thanks for listening to everybody I just want to apologize on behalf of uh, Nick Jana for um, not getting your permission to listen to his marmalade um we just we just expect you turn it off when you hear marmalade and you're not ready to receive it moving forward you should know if marmalade <laughs> if I guess like really marmalade should be said at the beginning of every episode. Um, But thank you for holding all of that with us. Hopefully it was (laughs) worth your while. (laughs) And that somehow you had room for marmalade on your toast. So glad you're here. Appreciate your ear canals deeply. We wouldn't be here being heard without them. (laughs) Really, really appreciate (laughs) the ear canals. Not,
3: not even let's set aside the eardrums and the outer ear like (laughs) let's talk about those canals
0: because there's something something about them there is like i said once the tiny sleeping bag of the ear canal like i'm feeling warm and held in that sort of moist (laughs) (laughs) wet warm what context okay thanks so much everybody nick until next time Bye 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 everybody